Hey guys, welcome to episode 133 of the JV Club with my guest, Sarah Thayer. Sarah Thayer falls into the category of uh, someone I wish I were. She's marvelous. Um, I want to get some shout outs in there. First of all, I want to thank Nita C for um, really just managing and 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 uh helping navigate the jv club tumblr page and um just generally being awesome i want to thank jenny for sending me uh, her sister's book the books plural and uh for also being fantastic and uh i want to thank um Aaron for his email. I want to ask if he enjoyed uh, his trip to Tucson. And uh, I want to thank for their emails, Brianna, Roberto, Kay, Christine, and Jody. Now, guys, I do want to acknowledge special shout outs to Sarah and Elena, both of whom sent me, that's right, photographs of them with their dehydrators. And they each won a JV Club t-shirt. It was a delightful piece of information to get from both of them. Totally made each of the days that I received that. Uh, what a joy. So guys, worry not. Uh, and Jenny Wade is aware dehydrators are alive and well in today's world. Uh, what a relief. Anyway, um, I think that's it for me. It's a, a nice short one just in the midst of Sketchfest per use. Uh, I hope you guys are doing great and I hope you enjoy the episode. Keep in touch. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. Yeah, I'm I'm recording now, and um, I was just saying that uh, right before I started recording, Sarah was telling me about this. So, what was it? It was a mom group. When I what, when we what? first moved to LA, we moved here a month before September 11th happened from New York City, and it was really weird because I had that kind of. This is going to sound so overblown, but I'm just being totally honest. I had this magical thinking feeling of if I had stayed in New York, this never would have happened to my city, New York. Oh, so wow. it was weird. And of course we had like a nine month old kid. Everyone told me you're so lucky that you weren't here. And of course, in retrospect, I was, but um, it was quite a shock because we moved to the Palisades when we first moved here. And I joined this kind of online parent listserv that helps you find, you know, I need a new roof and uh I need a babysitter and all this kind sure. of stuff. Which sounds really helpful. Yeah, great. it is. Yeah. It's great. Especially if you just move to town and you don't know anything. And the Palisades were already giving me the creeps. Yeah, I can't I'm not I'm not sure I can think of a better place for you to move to be more culture shocked yeah, by not being it in was, New York anymore it was than like, the Palisades. It was like all white people and they all said the same thing. They said, Isn't it great living here? You don't have to lock your doors. And I was like, oh, no. I've lived in Manhattan my almost my whole oh. adult life, and I've been locking several doors every time yeah. I go in and out of my apartment. It's not that big of a deal. It's really not. I kind it's of really like not. the security that locking my doors gives yeah. me. And I grew up in a very rural town where we didn't lock our doors. But I swear when I go back there and, you know, if I take my mom's dog for a walk or something in the evening... I feel like evil is lurking behind every tree. Yeah. Whereas if I go to New York, I just think nothing bad can happen here. I understand that. I have that. the opposite feeling. But anyway, I joined this parent group so I could find, you know, resources or whatever. So I could find a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Please come take my child. <laughs> let, let me go oh, out and be priority. a normal adult. First priority. But I quit it because 
um, this, I will never forget this person posted on there. She said, does anybody know where um, I can find some cobblestones? Because I'm going to Europe all summer. They always have to drop like the duration of, of their course. vacation and where they're going. Because we can afford to go I'm to Europe. Going to, I'm summer. going to stay in a chalet uh-huh. with other millionaires <laughs> in Europe. And I need to practice walking on cobblestones in high heels before we go there. I just find that. I mean, and then you quit. Yes. But so, but then people were weighing in. People I, were legitimately yeah, weighing people, in. Well, like, they oh, all said, great go, question. There's this really, it's kind of the Euro trashy. Is it still okay to say Euro trashy or is I, that? I have no idea. Is that a, too harsh is not PC? against yeah. rich white people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they have, they are really, really oh, getting the short end people, of the stick these right. days. Those rich white uh. people. <laughs> but they all said this mall in Beverly Hills that's like a little fake street the cobblestones are probably made out of resin. Like, they're not even real cobblestones. Yeah. Or they just ground street. up the bones of poor people yeah. and oh, yeah. fashioned exactly. them into a cobblestone. The, and, and, and soldered them together with tears of poor That's people. right. That's right. Bones and tears of poor oh, people. Oh, it's beautiful. So everyone suggested that. And she was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm there twice a week. Why didn't I think of that? I just never looked down. I just find that, I just find it so appalling and wonderful that... The, the person that is practical, this is what I was saying, is the person that is practical enough to think ahead that she's going to need to do this, but not practical enough to just not wear Manolo Blahniks right. on the cobblestone streets. Well, I don't know of- if that's practical, though. I mean, I'm usually thinking, oh, God, how many pairs of underwear do I need to right. bring? Also, I like to, when I go on vacation, I like to bring old underwear. Just in just case. Just to keep it sexy gonna- with my cousin. <laughs> No, I bring like old underwear because I don't know. It might just be um, as simple as an animal marking its territory. Uh-huh. But I feel like I'm going to bring my holiest, oldest period <laughs> underwear and throw them away when I'm done. I'll just wear them once and throw them away. I mean, I do understand that because I feel like I was when I was in, I traveled with a with a girlfriend of mine to New Zealand and she uh, had a sweater that was very bulky and she said you know i didn't know if i was going to need a sweater here and so i packed something that i would be very comfortable leaving behind yeah at the first hotel we stayed in the if ugly it shit. If it and then i get to where yeah. i'm going and i'm like i packed all I my ugly shit and my stain period panties yeah like, why did I pack this shit <laughs> and then when you go somewhere like i remember going i haven't been to europe in a really long time <laughs> i haven't been on cobblestone oh, since God, i don't know when gotta hurt but <laughs> But I remember going there and being attracted to really ugly clothes. Like I would oh, start to, I would never wear, you know, say a, a beet red blazer with gold buttons. Uh-huh. But you're in Italy and everyone is dressing in these amazing, oh, yes. colorful outfits and wearing tons of jewelry. Yes. And I would just be like, that's the look. That's who I am. I need lots of gold bangles. Sure. Big, heavy ear. I don't even have pierced ears. That's how minimalist <laughs> I am. I don't, I've never got my ears pierced because I was too chicken. You were? Yeah. Um, so that was the reasoning. It wasn't any other reason other yeah, than Yeah, I was like really afraid of It took of me a needles. long time, too, to work up the nerve. I think peer pressure, honestly, was the thing that pushed me over the edge. How old were you? You know what? I was probably 13. Mm-hmm. I think, and possibly my dad might have said, you need to wait until there's a teen after the number of age that you right. are. But, um, but I definitely, I really remember the feel in the same way that I viscerally remember and even so, so silly, but actually dream about having braces. Sometimes I still have braces dreams and I, and I sort of, I really remember that hot burning feeling after you've gotten your ears pierced it's very yeah yes i'd like that is a sensation i will never forget it is 
truly emblazoned. It's weird about ear piercing. I remember my mom said 13 too, but then we were in a mall with our cousins and there was a lady there who had ice, a needle, and a potato. Oh, and that's how she was. Oh, I think I've heard it about very the folksiness of the yeah, potato. They put the potato behind your ear, yeah. ice your ear, and so my sister Becky, my older sister Becky, was um, eleven, and my mom caved and let her get her ears pierced, and then so eleven became the new age when you could get your ears pierced. But when I was eleven, I was supposed to start allergy shots, and I literally ran away from home. Yeah. I was terrified. You ran of needles. away. I know needles. How does that stuff get imprinted? You know what I mean? What, I can't. I'm I'm curious what stuff is sort of inherent, like that sort of old school. You know, this is this is dangerous. This is this is this is old Neanderthal slash Cro Magnon slash Lucy kind of like this is this protected us to right. be afraid of this protected us versus how much of it is like socialized. And at, then you the overcome you it live. with like your need from for ornament. That's if right. You can overcome it. You can get your desperately but, because you need to attract. What whoever you're interested in you've got to get on their radar well i have two kids i was terrified of shots i think you're just born that way and yeah. i do think it's actually very natural and probably uh hardy and survival of the fittest to be afraid of something penetrating Puncturing your skin i think your you're body. totally right so i have one kid i made because uh, my mom would always lie before we go to the doctor and say you know no you're not going to get any shots oh. and then it would be like a three shot booster oh, yeah. visit or something and I couldn't stand that. I couldn't stand when my parents lied or when they snuck out and left us with a babysitter and just crept out without saying goodbye. So I kind of made a vow to never do that. And so with my first kid, I, he'd say, we're going to the doctor. Am I going to get a shot? And I'd say, yes. And you feel like horrible, like uh-huh. a sadist. <laughs> yes, we are. Probably Are too. you ever? But honesty feels very sadistic sometimes. But And he was okay with it. But then my second kid is the run down the hallway and try to punch the elevator buttons at the doctor's office mm. and run away when she's getting shots. So, and I was kind of like that. I yeah, understand I was it. Too. I for sure was. I remember. It's not a good feeling, but now I just, well, now uh, it doesn't phase me at all. I think it's after you've had like, uh, babies mm-hmm. you just feel like well, whatever you're poking me. now. <laughs> when I had a baby at Cedars, uh, here, um, my second kid, they, I said, can I just look at my chart? Because I always like to look at my chart. And I could barely read it because I was so doped up after uh-huh. I had the baby. And it was like all the drugs that were found in Elvis's system when, oh my. when he was born. <laughs> and I started to kind of go like, when the nurse would come in, I'd be like, I don't want any more. Like, yeah. I want to see what it's like to feel real again. Yeah. And did you? Yeah, I'm not an opiate person. Mm. I they make like I'm I'm in no danger of getting addicted to Vicodin. It makes I me hate feel it too. horrible. It makes me feel horrible also. It makes me feel very depressed. I feel like I'm getting sick. And I feel I like I'm it. getting sick. I couldn't agree more. I think that's true of most opiates for me too. It's a feeling of and also and these guys know because I have a history of sort of like pa- panic and anxiety especially when I was younger. Um there there became this urgent need to just feel not drugged or to feel not out of my body or whatever and so things like that that are sort of sensory altering are just not appealing to me anymore i don't even like really getting drunk because i i sort of start to feel like loosey-goosey with my limbs and yeah and then you do the thing where you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and and think of everything try to remember everything that you said at the party and to whom and regretting all of it (laughs) what i call playing the tapes Uh, 
Because I'm retro like that. But you play the tapes in your brain and you rewind them and think about them and obsess about them. I I wish I could say as you get older, I'm 46 now, that 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 goes away. But you still do think about it. You just don't pay as much. You don't give it as much credence. Right, right, right. I don't take it as I don't take my own attacks upon myself. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Seriously? Listen, that's huge. That is a huge development. I think for anybody who's who has that self critical eye, which most of us do. But I have the opposite thing about panic. I don't remember panicking very much as a kid. And I should have because I grew (laughs) up in kind of unstable circumstances. But I have really bad flight anxiety. Mm. So I do. I just went to New York last week and I took Xanax on the way there and on the way back because otherwise I would just be sweating and my heart would oh, be beating sure. really fast. But, that ta- but that's in a situation where it actually takes you kind of back to zero. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that was my experience, I think, with situations like that is like if you're actually in the place where, you know, you have palpitations and you're sweating and stuff, something mild like that can just sort of take you back to like, right. I feel slightly like I don't care if we crash, yes, but that's mostly exactly how I'm I feel. just calm. Yeah. And I remember once when I was flying and um, I was flying uh, the first time I ever flew first class and I didn't even know about prescription drugs that could make you feel better or anything. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think I'd had like a screwdriver or something, but I was still clawing my husband's arm and my heart was beating really fast. But I remember just giggling like, ha ha me i always thought i'd die in coach but here i am in first class i made it ready just in time ready to crash (laughs) this is the way i've got to go might as well go this classy way yeah do you feel like and and i do want to ask you um about the sort of shaky uh uncertainty of your of what you just described in your situation of of being a child but also um i think dovetailing into that do you do you feel like you built a comedy self-defense mechanism early because of that uncertainty as well? Because that is honestly my best defense. Like if the times I've been in the emergency room, the best I feel is if I am trying to make the doctor laugh. And that is feels very broken in some ways, but it, it really keeps me from like if I am trying to be clever in some way, it kind of eats up the part of my brain that wants to spiral into like maybe i'm gonna die maybe da, 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 maybe yes. da, da, da. like it's kind of a great way to distract oh, myself definitely i'm sure like my i grew up in a household that my there was a lot of domestic abuse between my parents mm. and um and so both between one to the other parents and children yes mm-hmm. and so it just felt unsafe at any time so i think you do when you have unstable you know, what should be the most stable situation in your life, your home life, you know, it's self-contained, it's, you've got locked doors. <laughs> Thank God, unless you're someplace crazy, right. like the rural like countryside. Right, like not but no, I mean, I, I think that that's supposed to be your baseline and your safety, and so when you go out of that, you have to b- make up one or more personae to compensate for that feeling of instability, mm-hmm. always. And I did it like I was... Just thinking the other day, because I was thinking about one of my kids and how he's sort of similar to this. He gets along with all kinds of different people, which is great. But I remember being that way, but never really feeling rooted in any group. You know, I was like a floater in high school where I got along with everybody. And part of it was because I was always sort of putting on a show. Yeah, I was really good at doing impersonations. My My top three were probably Belinda Carlisle, which I can't do anymore. I've completely Amazing. blown out my vocal range there. And Yoda, 
Yeah, you are. Which I can still sort of, but who can't do Yoda? That's like the cheesy one. Nobody else could in my town. Yeah, listen, I, was, I don't know. I, I think the it's more Yoda rare. of Covington, Louisiana. I mean, you live in LA now, so sure, everyone yeah. can do Yoda, oh, but come on. It's Yoda on every corner. Uh-huh. Turn in tricks. <laughs> but, it's tough stuff. But then the other one was, which I was the best at, was there was this toilet paper brand called Banner Toilet Paper. And in it and it had like a rolling toilet paper roll with eyes and a mouth. You know, the, the cardboard tube sure. was like a Senor Wences kind sure. of mouth. Which someone went, in the advertising room was right. like, we came up with it! Yeah. Guys, this is Everybody so wants to paper. wipe with something with eyeballs <laughs> right. and a mouth That's on right. it. But that was my big impression because it was like, hey, I'm new banner and you're gonna love me! <laughs> and it was a rolling toilet paper roll. And everybody you can said, catch me! Yeah. <laughs> what? This is weird. <laughs> This is a weird chase game with toilet paper. <laughs> Pants around the ankles, yeah. <laughs> chasing a roll of toilet paper. That is an advertisement I would enjoy watching. <laughs> um, I love that you were a hit primarily for that. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, and then and how many siblings do you have, and where do you fall? And I that? have one older sister, Becky, and then I have two younger sisters, Debbie and Rachel, and a younger brother, Michael. So I'm the second of five. Oh wow. Okay. And, and my, where was my parents where? divorced? And we when my brother was like one. So we would have had more because my mother is super Catholic and never used birth control or anything. And I remember after my parents got divorced, she'd still be like, well, I guess I can adopt. Like she felt guilty because she hadn't had enough children. Are you serious? After five? After five. She always felt like she wanted to do more. And now she comes and visits me and I have two and she's like, two is so hard, isn't it? And she really means it. The first time she said it, I was like, what the fuck are you mean by that? But (laughs) she means it. And I'm like, you had five. And she said, yeah, but you guys just started to take care of each other. Well, I have heard that, I guess. Yeah, where there's sort of I don't know if that's such a good (laughs) form of parenting. Yeah. I need to have I more have kids so I can have some babysitters. Sure. One of them's bound to be a babysitter. Sure. If I just keep popping them out, somebody's going to have that gene. I started babysitting when I was nine. You outside did? Outside of the home. Oh, outside of the home. For other people's. I remember one of my the first uh, kids I babysat it was a six-week-old baby. And it was, you know, next door. Yeah. So I was next door to my mom. But it was still a six-week-old baby oh, and you have a crazy. nine-year-old. That's and my daughter's crazy. nine now. I don't know. You would if never I'd... let her. <laughs> no. <laughs> Six weeks. I wouldn't baby. hire her to watch her. Let's oh, put it that no. way. Yeah, nine seems very young. I mean, I feel like the whole point is that you're old enough to be a kid without parents home. And yeah. nine doesn't feel. Well, I wanted to get enough. out there and make some money because it was, you know, the rate was like 50 cents an hour. Sweet. That's, a, <laughs> that's sweet right there. That is sweet. Going out to 75, you know. And I would use it to buy like snack foods that I'd hoard in my bedroom and oh, keep away from Oh, welcome to my... all of us, I yeah. think. God, that was the best. Captain Crunch, Chef Boyardee, Ravioli. I went for sweet oh, and interesting. savory. <laughs> Chef Boyardee being a thing that, boy, that really feels like it would just be in the pantry of my house. Not in our pantry because my mom was like a nature freak who just, you know, had us eat granola. And she would only buy soda and doritos and things if we were had a, had a babysitter coming which actually made the transition to babysitter very smooth because we were appealing. like can will you please go out so yeah. we can have soda <laughs> yeah no kidding that's funny it's interesting that she had that that she want that she had the inclination to sort of please a babysitter that way yeah i think she was also like smoothing no over that our... we were getting a that you know babysitter was coming uh-huh where we was this? Some. Sorry, where, where oh, was Oh, well, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, but okay. we moved to Louisiana when I was six. Okay, So okay. I kind of identify with being more from there. Sure. 
even though when I got there, I was like, listen to these hicks. Cut to <laughs> a like, year later. It was like second grade. I'm going to say you guys and not y'all. <laughs> you guys sound dumb. Uh, did you ever kind of take on those colloquialisms? Oh, yeah. I say yeah. y'all all the time now. Yeah. I remember, Where in Louisiana was it? Uh, you know how New Orleans is on Lake Pontchartrain on uh-huh. the southern shore of it? Uh-huh. Across the lake, you go across that long bridge, the causeway. And there's Mandeville, and that's where I went to grade school. And then there's Covington right up the highway. And so that's where I lived in either one of those towns and went to school in both those towns. And what took your mom to there? My dad got a job there. He oh, was that was before your parents divorced. Sorry. Yeah. Right, 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 right. They divorced when I was like 13. Well, they separated when I was 13 and divorced when I was 14. So what's the age difference between your youngest brother? Because you said he was one 12. and your I'm oldest. 12 years older than he is. And how old is, and your, what about your older? She's two years older. So there's okay. 14 years mm. apart. That is a big, that is So I know my parents had sex at least five times. Uh-huh. My sister caught them doing it once too. I, luckily, I didn't do that. And I don't think my kids have done that to me if they have they've been very quiet about it they're just sitting with it like silently and yeah waiting for it it's to a come weird thing light. when your kids like figure out that not only you know that's another thing because i'm i'm a reproductive rights activist i've always been involved in escorting and abortion clinics and raising money for abortion funds i'm very open about that and i'm and we're um, gonna need to stop this podcast i need to ask you to leave what if that was your <laughs> <laughs> exactly did you see i had a, like a flash of, oh, really? oh, well i'm used to that <sighs> but um i'm very uh, open with my kids about sex ed and stuff like that and they get it like crazy in school i mean they pretty much talk they talk about it so much in school to older kids that they get bored with it mm-hmm. they're like yada yada condoms blah blah uh-huh. like, it's just i'm a trying to remember if to i had that i do feel like i got I don't feel like I was oversaturated with sex ed information, but I also feel like the majority of what I remember was peer stuff. I do feel like I, and not that my parents didn't talk to me about it. I just feel like I must have just been lucky and average because my sense of it is just that I sort of can't really remember when I found out about that stuff. And oh, so, I do because I wrote a book and I remembered all that stuff and yeah. I got caught for drawing you know, I, I saw my dad had Playboys. We didn't have the internet back then. So it was mostly like Playboys. And we had something that my mom bought, um, which is called Life Cycle Library, which oh, was very straightforward sure. about sex Te- education and diagrammatic yeah. kind of things of the, the human body. I'll never forget. Um, we had a, well, this is when I was in second grade. We had a babysitter in Homa, Louisiana, and she was looking at it with us. And she went, ha ha, look at his penis. <laughs> and I remember going, penis, it's penis. I knew we never should have left Missouri. <laughs> such, <laughs> just, such a superiority complex Charming. for a seven-year-old. But I remember it was seven when you start to be curious. So it happened to my son. We had the whole talk because he asked me questions about it. It happened with uh, my daughter probably earlier because she's pretty precocious and she... I do think girls just get things mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. I actually have a theory on why, you know, women, <laughs> why we think our vaginas are dirty. Uh-huh. And oh, it's yeah? because I think we're naturally sexual as girls. And people tell us, don't be that way. Don't touch that. Don't yeah, do that. That definitely happened to me. So I sure. try to say to my daughter, wash your hands before you touch your vagina. Good for you, And Sarah. do it in private. Good for you. Because <laughs> I do feel, I do remember having, I mean, from a very young age, 
a feeling of guilt and shame associated with masturbating because I didn't know what I was doing was wrong and the way that it was expressed to me was not particularly gentle. It's going to be interesting because most people I know raise their kids with sort of a, um, they try not to shame them Mm -hmm. about sexuality. They just say, that's private, do it in your room. And I think, well, will the end result be that everyone's sexuality is just privately masturbating in their room when they get older because that's the way they've been raised Uh, yeah i don't know opposed to just zero communication from previous generations so things kind of were played fast and loose in a different way because everyone was kind of figuring it out for themselves well i used to say like the way i grew up was have sex first ask questions later and Uh i wasn't particularly i was like serially monogamous but I did have sex and I was mm-hmm. sort of, and I thought I was going to hell like the first hundred times I had sex. I said the rosary. I thought. Ugh. Did I you was go to a doomed. Catholic school? Too? Yeah, till yeah. college. Was I, it uh, co ed or was it girls? It was co ed um, up until eighth grade. Okay. And then it was, uh, then it, you know, I went to an all girls high school where they taught a class called Christian sexuality, but it was wonderful. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. It's a long sl- semester I will of never just forget. hearing the same They thing. showed us a slide of of a, an x-ray of a fetus with an IUD embedded in its spine. And wow. said, this is why you shouldn't use birth control. So oh it was all about, God. don't do it until you get married. Don't use any kind of artificial birth control, <gasps> I was except the rhythm method. And now we're going to teach you, sophomores in high school, how to use oh, the rhythm no. method. So that's what I used what a for a recipe couple of years. For disaster. But you never got pregnant? No. Lucky duck. I know. It's a, the pull-out method works sometimes. I, I guess it does. It's just hard to, it's hard to feel confident about recommending that, I guess. Oh, no. I would never recommend that. Yeah. I don't think you should ever let semen into your vagina unless you want to have a baby. Yeah. Better safe than I'm sorry. I'm a big condom advocate. Yeah. And just, you know, for pregnancy, for disease, for everything. And who wants to drip semen all day i don't some people love that <laughs> makes them feel alive alive yeah, exactly i'm uh, dripping yeah that's a really good point so just a good practical point yeah. let me ask you this because i do i don't think i've ever really talked what? about this how can before. you seg from dripping semen into something else? I, it's don't worry it's staying in the same wheelhouse okay. do not worry for a moment good i want to go back to the playboy thing because i don't know if i've really talked about this before but i do find it fascinating i'm just wondering if your understanding or your sense of sexuality what leaned towards like women and nudity for women and were you titillated by those and i'm asking because for me it was the first real exposure i had to sort of softcore whatever you want to call it was was also playboy and so i didn't have like that's what i associated with sex was well, naked women what, i just didn't know i just didn't you didn't see the other side and i that's think what it was, drives our culture though is the male gaze looking yeah at women. exactly when i looked at old playboys i remember my sister becky and i used to sneak and look at them i remember feeling like they were joking mm. like that kind of just uh blank look unfocused look into the camera that the women were giving mm-hmm. and just holding their boobs or parting their labia or whatever i remember just feeling like nobody does that in real life because the real women that i knew in my life my mom wasn't going around <laughs> with that like sort of thousand yard oh, stare oh yeah clutching her breasts where why is mom only wearing a letterman's jacket <laughs> 
Why does mom have big wooden beads dangling over her? I love the old Playboys, though, because... I mean, it really is extraordinary. Talk about a slice of life. Yeah. And we honestly, have... I'm sure people have written theses on, like, theses on the difference in women's breasts yeah. through the years nipple of Playboy. History. Absolutely. It's nipples fascinating. used to be, like, big silver dollar pancake yeah. size nipples, and now it's all about the what I call the French burnt peanut nipple. You know, the those, French burnt those peanut Those little nipple. red yes. candies. <laughs> for you uh, for you young people in the audience they're like caramelized peanuts that are kind of bumpy and pinkish i'm but. sorry that this is episode is not more explicit everyone <laughs> i'll see what we you know can what's do. funny we went to my husband and i went to um a playboy anniversary party years ago before mm-hmm. we had kids and we you know the swag was a uh, a coffee table book about the history of the playmate or the centerfold or and it is really great. It's fascinating to look at because mm-hmm. the women at the beginning, I mean, aside from Marilyn Monroe being in the first ever Playboy, the women look like, and in some cases were, secretaries mm. and people who either worked in the Playboy offices or mm. they look very normal. Mm. They look like they could be my mom. But those weren't the Playboys I was looking at. Mm. I was looking at like the Big Bush, Farrah Fawcett Playboys when yeah. I was growing up. And I was looking at, I guess, like, 80s played 80s so it was like like yeah lots was it smaller of shaved and lots of yeah i don't know i think there was might have been a crossover where it started getting into fake boobs already mm-hmm. like we like the cartoonish they hadn't figured it out kind of yet right fake boobs there's too, a couple of years where you can tell they're just the silicone injection boobs oof, it's so strange i know when you look at it you just feel like I wonder where those women are yeah. now, because that causes all kinds of autoimmune problems. And oh, stuff. absolutely! Did you have a sense? I mean, I, first of all, I'm impressed that even as a young person, you sort of had—I don't want to like inject I, like an I, ironic sense into you, but even just the idea that it was something abnormal versus. I don't know if I walked away feeling like my body needed to look like that. At least not consciously, subconsciously. I'm sure, but right. Um, but I, I don't know. I, like, I think I really. I think I took on the male gaze. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think oh, I, I think we all I think do. I, I think I was like, yes, I'm. These I, women are 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 attractive to me also in a sexual way because this is my only photo of like this is my only well, snapshot of everyone, what sexuality and eroticism is. As my husband says, when you know we've discovered our children were looking at naked things, uh, he's like, everybody likes to look at naked people, and I said, you're right. I mean, yeah. it's a natural impulse. It's up to us to hopefully guide them towards healthier ways of viewing those things. But I think we all like to look at it. And I think that if you're just being exposed to, which we definitely were, the male gaze version of women, then that does shape what we find as attractive. I mean, who among us hasn't, say, been having sex with someone and thinking like, arching my back right now will look hot. Because that's the way women pose when they're, you know, Kneeling on a rattan chair in Playboy. <laughs> so they're, you know, with their buttocks. In soft in focus skyward. with a lot of ferns yes. around. Exactly. Yeah. But, but that, that Playboy book, this is kind of interesting. Um, and this is a, a measure of how girls, I think, develop faster than boys. It was in our bookshelf. I never even thought about it. Um, and my son never went searching for it. But my daughter is fascinated by it. Mm. And if I have one thing to, to worry about, it's that, and I've talked to her about, you know, I talk to you very frankly about sex and I answer your questions, but it's not up to you to talk, to tell other people all about it. Right. But that is my one concern is that 
my is she kid, gonna be that friend that you well, know i'm sure she already is woman. <laughs> but, <laughs> but hopefully yeah. she's giving people you know pretty just straightforward i don't put anything in in uh cutesy ways you know you don't say wee wee and woo. no i've always <laughs> said vagina yeah. and vulva and use the part names and i don't know it's a feels like a grand experiment because i certainly wasn't raised that way and and i feel like almost what i'm doing is behavioral therapy for me which is to try to be just healthy and mm-hmm. not like i said not coy about it because mm-hmm. i remember when i got caught um my my friend Courtney and I drew like all these naked people in a notebook. And one day we were cleaning, you know, it was like, I don't know if you were a slob when you were growing up, but like I was the biggest slob and I just threw all shit under my bed until it was like a packed detritus uh-huh. that I had to chip away at and figure <laughs> out what to throw away. So we were having our big family cleaning day on a Saturday and I found that notebook. I remember I had Lucy from Peanuts like doing that happy dance thing on the front (laughs) and i was like looking at it i was in third grade at that point so this was like second grade bullshit of people having sex on sofas Uh and this is kind of interesting because i'd only been exposed to playboy we drew people like men and women having sex but we drew cameras in the corners of the page Whoa, with the playboy so logo on them yes oh my god so we were like that's imagining impressive. my girlfriend and i we were very we were like social anthropologists doing this whole sex I'm study so thing interested in that i really feel like that is super early signs of the way your brain and perspective but that I, I was dissociating from <laughs> Yeah, that everything makes sense. is television. Yeah, everything, <laughs> <laughs> even these people, and, ah. and also we, but we did not draw like we did not draw them looking pretty. Mm-hmm. I remember doing like long kind of cucumber tits and stuff uh-huh. like that. We were more into the real the Robert Crumb. It was like uh, my great grandmother <laughs> who I walked in on nude once. It was like her oh. sex scene. But anyway, I just took the notebook and I went and I threw it in the trash. And then Uh-oh. I went back to my room, chipping Uh-oh. away again at the detritus, went to take another load of trash to the garbage. And I saw my parents kind of flipping through the notebook. Oh. And I did that thing that kids do where you're just like, hello there. And you turn around <laughs> and walk away. And I remember my face kind of burning and I just went back in my room and I crawled under my bed halfway and I was still pulling out old <laughs> notes and snot regs and whatnot. And my parents came in the room and closed the door. I could see their feet. They came in and they were like, we need to talk to you. And basically they just told me, you can never do this again. And you better never... You know, they didn't say, hey, it's normal to want to look at naked people. They didn't ever say that. They just said, uh, I remember my dad explicitly saying, if I ever catch you drawing pictures like this again, you'd better run for the hills. I know. Isn't that weird? Is it just so did they present a united front when they were establishing rules, but then they also were like at each other at other times? Yes. I don't think they there really were any rules. I didn't know what the rules were until Mm. I broke them, you know? Except for whatever I was learning in religion class at yeah. church, which I, I think I'm one of those lucky Catholic kids who uh, came of age. I was in middle school during the time when lay people started coming in and teaching religion class, and they were all like, don't take the Bible literally. Mm. Bible, you know, it's a fairy tale, and evolution is real, and all these things. That, wow. Even so in, in my lifetime, okay. I've seen it regress back the other way, mm-hmm. except for this new pope. Seems, look, I never get too hopeful when it comes to the Catholic Church. I just don't. I just feel like I knew pretty early on, sixth, seventh grade, I was sneaking in, you know, 
To Kill a Mockingbird and sneaking it into my my uh, hymnal and reading that instead of paying attention because it seemed to me like Mary was like half a person, you know? Um, you get to be the mother of God, but uh, you can't ha- ever have sex or be a sexual person. Yeah. And as a kid, I didn't want to, I didn't think she should be able to have sex. Right. But I just couldn't believe that that was that was it for womanhood. Like that was the womanhood that got put on a pedestal. I kind of got, just got bored with it to yeah. be frank. But it, like I said, there were a lot of great lessons learned, which um, devout Catholics might disagree with me. They they might think that because the seeds of doubt were planted because I was taught evolution and things like that. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty non-religious now. Well, if you're, so by the time you were a, a teenager in Louisiana and you were sort of of an age where you were interested in exploring sex, guilt aside, um, your mom was, you didn't have a stepfather, you're, it was just your no, mom. No, my mom was and so Catholic. Five, and all she five had of you marriage. were by, the, by that time did, no, pro, I guess if it's only two years older, she was probably still. In the, well, my the older sister, I probably had sex before she did because she was um, like a straight A student and a real, what we used to call a goody goody. Mm-hmm. She was just super i don't know i don't know if i want to say super nerdy like it's a bad thing or anything uh but she that part of her social life wasn't developed in the so. same way that it yeah. was for you yeah. yeah i don't think it was till like she graduated from high school and went to europe but i had i think i had sex when i was 15 for the first time who were the since you didn't you weren't going to school with them who were the sort of guys in your circle or the, the who was around especially if you felt you were a floater stay, it's kind of weird i always and i think it's because i had an older sister who was two years older than i was that that was my cultural frame of reference so i always dated guys who were her age hmm. who were in her class so i did have that what i now think of is the ultimate in creepiness i was in high school and i had college boyfriends which is that, isn't that seem weird? I, yeah, I'm torn by that too. I didn't have, I don't think, I, I'm trying to remember. I guess I didn't really have college boyfriends when I was in high school. It's true, I didn't. But I don't know if that would have, I don't know. It's I don't know, really just hard the psyche of I, the yeah. guy who has a high school girlfriend and goes to the prom yeah. who's in college. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like you would move on in some way? It reminds me of the Matthew McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused. Right. Like, I'm working for the city. Like, yeah. These are these were my golden <laughs> years. I'm just going to stay in them yeah. forever. Although these guys, they went to college and everything. It just, you know, it ultimately didn't work out. I mean, I know as a girl, I wouldn't have dated someone who was still in high school by the time I was in college. But I, I don't know... I think that's like cultural too. I don't know if boy, I think, I think it's still, it's always okay for, I mean, it's certainly not always okay ethically, but like (laughs) it's kind of still, and so I think, you know, a 19 year old guy maybe isn't because, because of maybe actual rates of physical maturity too, or emotional maturity. They're just maybe not thinking the same way. I remember we we got in trouble a couple of times because we were usually parking somewhere, making out or even further, but but by cops and they didn't say this is statutory rape like (laughs) even though he was 19 and i was 17 or anything like that nobody ever said that and it's interesting to me now when i look back on my life because a big part of especially having a daughter although i also talked to my son about this and it's a big topic right now in the state of california how they just passed a bill uh about affirmative consent and it really makes you think that as women we're not really told how to consent. We're told how to deny sex mm. and how you should not have sex and mm, you should wait yeah. and you'll feel much better if you don't, which doesn't ever address what your urges are and what your needs are. And um, 
And so I look back at my life and I think, did I ever give affirmative consent? Mm -hmm. And I don't think I did because I wasn't taught. I just sort of passively gave in after saying no several times. Mm -hmm. I sort of passively gave in, which is, it's, I don't know. I, it's not like it's necessarily, I can't say my past is really sad to me, but it's definitely something that I'd like to see in the future women feel more confident in that area mm -hmm. and feel like I actually did say I'm going to have sex with someone and it was my choice. Yeah. And I, will, I will say that I do feel that I had that experience and I'm not sure if that comes from, I mean, these guys know I was essentially raised by my dad, a single dad. And so I don't know if that comes from sort of being empowered in that way in in non-sexual ways that then carry over into your sexuality. Do you know what I mean? Because How sometimes did your dad empower you. I just feel like he, I just feel like there was no, it's not like he treated me like a boy by any stretch of the imagination, but I also don't feel that he treated me like a girl. Do you know? I yeah. feel like he just treated me like, like his kid. Yeah. And, um, and so but did I he don't talk to you. Do you mind if I ask? I just am curious sex? about, did he talk to you about sex? Cause I'm always open to learning. Yeah. Sounds like you're positive. You do come from an uh, affirmative. But you know what's funny because situation. I really don't remember talking about it with either of my parents. But I also don't remember. I mean, with my mom, for sure, I just didn't really talk about anything with her, especially not during those times because um, because I was presenting. No, that's not even true. I was not really working hard to present a false friend to her that I was a good kid. Um, sh I was lying. I was sneaking out. I was doing drugs. You know, and sh and neither of my parents knew like had any proof that i was doing drugs but my mom for sure was positive i was doing way worse and my dad for sure was positive i wasn't doing anything wrong they just sort of like split down the middle where one saw me as an angel one saw me as a devil right and uh and i think and i don't know where that comes from but i don't remember you having had one parent that liked you <laughs> for sure listen i, I know my parents and then thought i was a great relationship devil. with my mom i think my mom just didn't know how to be a single mom. And I think there was just a lot of residual pain over feeling like that's not, that wasn't her plan. You know, her plan was to be married forever. Right. And, and when that gets ripped away from you, um, I think, you know, in her case, she just kind of, there was just part of her that kind of shut down. And I think it was just really hard for her. And so, and also she was probably seeing in me, she's Mormon, not as much practicing now, but she was probably seeing in me, um, oh, I remember when I rebelled again. Like this thing that she wanted to kind of maybe keep me on the straight and narrow, whereas my dad is an atheist and right. probably thought I You don't I was, get you like know. a rump springo when you're a Mormon? Like no, Amish do? no, opposite. No, you have to go on a opposite. missionary. <laughs> exactly. And then you come back. I've talked about this what before. Then you come back and all you want to do is have sex. So you just get married so that you can do it. Wow. You know, and then that's the person when you're 20 years old that you're expected to, you know, be with not just until death do us part, but but for all eternity. But you know what? Bless them. Some people really make it work, it seems. I know. But I and, you know, I just heard um, Aziz Ansari was talking on Howard Stern about how his parents have an arranged marriage. And he said it's almost like their love deepens over the year from coming from being complete strangers. But I yeah. still can't. And I'm, you know, it's a cultural difference, too, I'm sure. But I can't imagine I know. doing that. I can't I, imagine getting... And I would never expect my daughter to stay a virgin until she gets married. Or either kid. You right. know, I just... That's one thing. I just feel like let's inform both of them the same way. Mm -hmm. It's the, trying to be the most feminist that I can be with both of my kids. 
If anything, they're like, hey, feminine. <laughs> they become <laughs> not again. Polar opposite. We're equal already. Uh, lay up, no, my battles mom. don't have to be my kids' battles. There's a, I can't remember his name, but there's a columnist, an African American columnist for uh, the Chicago Tribune, and he was talking about his daughter wrote, and I think his wife is is uh, Caucasian. But he was talking about how his daughter, he, his daughter wrote a paper for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and he read it, and it said, racism is over. <laughs> and he was oh. like, I still can't catch a cab. Yeah. And my daughter's writing this, but it made me realize, instead of lecturing her, it made me realize her, her, you know, my battles don't have to be her battles. It is. It's a really weird, I think it is kind of an interesting challenge, and I'm not a parent yet, but to to be in the place where of course, part of your kind of responsibility or your just natural um, existence is going to be to bring your experience as a young person in. But obviously, we are in a part of a different culture. And so, yeah, finding that balance between being able to talk experientially and be that parent, because yeah. that's important too, but also to somehow ask questions of them and to try to get a sense of what their climate is like when they're not with you, right? you know, and to and to sort of... I guess adapt accordingly as a parent, and but you know racism isn't over. <laughs> surprise, believe, yeah. surprise! It's like if my daughter uh, said sexism isn't over. Yeah, it's we're done. We did it. I heard her asking her dad the other. This is how like I'm like, you know, I don't feel the need to insert my pontificating into every moment. I heard her asking Andy the other day, "What's the difference between sexism and sexy again?" <laughs> and I was like, Amazing. on my way out the door. <laughs> to go somewhere and I sort of went like that kind of cartoonish slowing down and then I just kept walking I was like I'm gonna let him handle that yeah but I do trust him to handle it in probably a more interesting and funny way to me I gotta be honest with you and I can't believe I haven't said this to more uh friends who are both brilliant and funny and have children but I would actually like to be a fly on the wall with you guys. And you're, I think that would be charming and wonderful. And probably well, most of the time I would be like, this is great. This is exactly what I want to do. It's weird. I mean, we, I'm sure we have just the same issues that anybody has and we fight and they're, the, they're boring. You know, it's like the, I often feel like I live in a house with three people who all have attention deficit issues. Mm-hmm. Um, some clinically diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I have to say everything a hundred times. And the way I reacted to that um, at first was to become even more manic about keeping calendars and writing everything down. And now I've sort of given in, probably this has to do with, I do mindful meditation too. I just had to, to start being sane, although it doesn't work on airplanes. Not yet, anyway. Mm. But I do do that to try to just calm my brain down and not obsess over things. But I kind of stopped making obsessive lists and calendars. So as a result, we run out of milk. Um, I forget things. I forgot my daughter's piano recital last year. I felt terrible. Lots of people think I'm a flake now. Mm. But you know what? I just don't give a shit. Yeah. It, It does... It's the great thing. My, I just was in New York with my little sister, Debbie, and she turned 40. And I said, welcome to the world of not living unironically and not giving a shit. It's oh, so great. great. I don't sit around worrying. I, the, the t- like I said, the tapes still play in my sure. brain sometimes. 
But I just don't care. Yeah. I think, well, I feel that like person get- thinks I'm crazy. Whatever. Right. <laughs> right. It adds a little dash of flavor to the right. evening. <laughs> I do everyone. feel like, and I do feel like I can say that I see, and I've talked about it before, I do see that happening incrementally. And I cherish it. You know, there are things, there is a weird thing happening where <clears throat> as the changes in my body persist, and I'm, you know, more liable to gain weight or I'm more liable to have a wrinkle or whatever. There is this kind of really interesting balance that I hope maintains itself, which is that there's this a flare up when I see it happening where, you know, five year old five years ago me would be in a panic about that. Yeah. And it's almost like the more my metabolism slows down, the more I'm balanced out by me going like, meh. Yes. What what's what am I gonna do? And what am also, I gonna do? Lose my mind over this? Yeah. Well, hopefully not. I mean, hopefully that's the whole not. thing. I, I'm like, now I'm not, just afraid of dementia and Alzheimer's <laughs> and literally losing my mind. Like, I don't, I think, oh, I've got to do things that keep my brain active and alive. And I don't think you need to worry about that at all. Come oh, on. You're I've a, had a lot of coffee writer this morning. You're, and you're, uh, <laughs> you're catching me on a coffee. I don't know. High. As a parent and a writer and, you know, I, I think that your brain is firing just fine. I think if anything, you know, we're hyperstimulated in the world that we live in now. So we start feeling like we're missing stuff because you know this there's week, just firing at all the time i took a break from any kind of viral video or uh the thing that was supposed to break the internet yesterday or whatever i just and i did uh, an interview earlier today where somebody asked me about it and i just said i don't talk about those people <laughs> I'll do it uh-huh. and i've been so happy this week and i realized it's probably because i was in new york part of the time which is um, my city i just feel like that's where my soul is and but i've just have been reading more, looking at v- things on the internet less, mm-hmm. and it feels great. Like mm-hmm. it feels like um, s- s- I don't know, so much better. That makes sense to me. Wait, uh, let me let me ask a few questions. I want to get into um, one of my favorite parts of the podcast okay. uh, in a, in a moment, which is also sort of the winding down of it. But uh, it's a ramp up before a wind down. Okay. Um. Wh- so okay. So I have this picture of you, uh kind of socially as to who you were when you were a teenager but what what were what artistically excited you you know were you a big tv watcher were you allowed to do that were you buried in books and you made the to kill a mockingbird reference were you did you listen to music did you have access to that yes i read um you know my my parents didn't have a lot of music they had like barbara streisand simon and garfunkel and herb alpert which i'm you know, as an adult, I'm like, that's not half bad. Sure. You know, I could have been a lot worse. Oh, Henry Mancini, like the Pink yeah. Panther soundtrack. But it wasn't the We Rolling made do Stones with or... like 10 LPs and yeah. that was it. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV. And when I did, my mom made it clear that she, she thought it was crap. Mm-hmm. But I did watch all the Brady Bunches and Gilligan's Islands and all that kind of um, stuff. And uh, Jaws ruined my life. My dad took me to see that when I was like way too young. And I think it's the best movie ever oh, made. It's, it's so amazing. It's so good. We started this tradition in our family. I'm sure way too young for my daughter. Although me and both of my kids surf, which kind of takes your mind off sharks when you're in the ocean. Actually, oh, that's the good o- to hear because I feel thing, it would be the opposite where I haven't done it. It's the only thing that's kind of... ever taken my mind. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I think it's because you're doing something focused and physical mm-hmm. that, you know, when you're waiting for a wave and your legs are dangling over the surfboard, you are sort of thinking... Well, chomp, chomp. You know? <laughs> but then once you're doing it, you're like focused on so many other, like I said, physical things and yeah. geological things that it takes your mind off of it. But um, I love Jaws. Um, 
Oh, you started a tradition. Oh, we watch it on Thanksgiving Day after That's Thanksgiving pretty dinner. Great, which is pretty cool. I it's might kind have of to adopt that. That's a really great. Tradition. Yeah, it is great because it's like you're kind of comatose. You're yeah. just laying there. And it's, it's not really movie. that sickening, and all yeah. the acting is so good. No, it's not. You don't see that much. You see like some. Actually, red... my daughter just went as Jaws That's to the... school for Halloween. Oh, I love we it. we bought the pre-made shark costume, but yeah. we sewed a bunch of like shreds of flesh-looking ah, fabric around, great. and we pinned uh, some yellow barrels that she was dragging oh, around behind her. Oh, that's a great her. idea. And she painted yeah, her face looked out it. of the mouth of the shark. So she drew like blood all as of, if she was still inside as if the she shark. Were Quint. Oh, that's great. God, that movie is great. Okay, that's good to know. And good to know about the surfing, too. Did you do any sports when you were in? No, we were too... Well, I was kind of a quitter where I would try a bunch of things. But it was partially because the minute I'd try something, my dad would start complaining about how much it costs, like gymnastics or tennis or swimming. Um, So I was kind of one of those... You know, it was acting. It was pretending. You know, I would do each team one year and sort of pretend I'm mm-hmm. the tennis girl now. Sure, sure. Now I'm a softball type. Right. And I was never very good at, <laughs> at anything. Yeah, at I least you good. tried it out. I yeah. feel like I didn't even bother I could pop trying. Wheelies. You know, riding yeah, a bike was free. That sounds pretty good. And I could, we did live in a neighborhood where you could just, I would take off it after breakfast and be gone on my bike all day. Well, isn't that because I really still have that, um, these guys know, like to a fault where it is very important for me to, to ride my bike. And it's very important for me to live in a neighborhood where I have that feeling. So I think I might just be arrested development kid where all the stuff that was important right. to me then still is. But um, especially I'm sure growing up in a large family, that feels like what an immediate way to really be in your own space. And yeah, there's and to nothing be like the breeze going through your hair. Yeah. I kind of okay. I can't speak to that. Rekindled, <laughs> I've rekindled that a little bit lately with roller skating Ooh, because it was the same fun. way. Yeah, and we went. We were down in um, Austin for the Austin City Limits Music Festival, which was really cool. It was like my kids' first time going to a music festival. That's and, fun. And um, my son, who's almost fourteen, he likes. We kind of like some of the same bands. Like we like Lana Del Rey and. He likes Major Laser, which I complained about the whole time we were uh-huh. watching it. But the replacements played. <laughs> oh, so it fun. was and they were amazing. Paul Westerberg sang half the set lying in a hammock, which was really funny. <laughs> but um, because he can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just playing his guitar with the mic, you know, yeah. bent over in front of his mouth. It was great. But it was really um oh, we roller skated down there. And there's nothing like I know I know Austin's kind of a large town, but it's still a small town. Small town roller skating rink. It's yeah. just the best. And it gives you this sense of freedom. And I remember looking, there were some younger kids who were couple skating. And when I was younger, just waiting to be asked to yeah. couple skate. And now, oh my God, this is the cheesiest metaphor for my life and my maturity. <laughs> now I wanted to tell those kids, skate alone. <laughs> You'll feel so much better. Like, I just felt like, uh, I'm sure people are looking at me like, who is that crazy old lady? Yeah, That spastic old lady, you know, skating alone. Get away from her. <laughs> she's gonna hit whatever you. she's whatever her reasons are for being here, they're not good. They're not good. Uh, but oh. I just felt like you get that breeze going in your hair. Yeah. Kids don't get it like that today because they all have helmets on, which yeah. is sad. But, but but yet also wear a helmet, says the girl who has been in numerous bikes bike accidents, <laughs> but persists in biking also. All right, I want to get into this mash game because I'm excited about the very first category. Now, you you know you're going to be picking three of each thing I say because I do a little process of elimination. Okay. It's an old school game, yep. and then we'll give you your future, um, your sort of alternate reality future. But the first thing I want to ask is give me three places in the world 
that it would be super fun to roller skate in, not inside, could be inside, could be outside, that you'll never be able to roller skate right. in, but just like, is it Venice Boulevard, or I mean, is it Venice Beach, is it, is it you know, Paris, Not Rome, because the there's too many cobblestones. Please, don't get me started. <laughs> it's so inconvenient. Wait, can it be someplace that you couldn't roller skate, uh, maybe? Sh- it but should you- be a place you can never roller skate. Okay. It should be three totally wild All right, let's but, say... But how fun would it be to all, to be able to have, the, and you're just perfectly safe, nothing back now yes. to you. Okay, Kawhi. And I will say Rome and San Francisco. Yeah. When I read about oh like my skateboard God. culture in San Francisco, I'm uh, like, how do those fuckers do that? I know. I have no idea. Talk about something that makes me a backseat driver, so to speak, when someone's on a skateboard. I feel like somehow I want to yeah. put my f- foot on a brake that doesn't exist. <laughs> like I get real jumpy very, very quickly and always have. So it's we have not to even trust so many people. Thing. We really in this do world, not to collide. We with really us. do. We absolutely do. Um, okay, next one is going to be um, three. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go for it. That this is these are those are roller skating places. This is just vacation home. But I'm going to go imaginary places for vacation home. So you're going to have to think in in terms of imaginary the, the Star Wars. Okay, Rivendell Lord the, from right. Lord of the Lord of the Rings. Um, right. Oh, there's really no other place in Middle Earth I'd rather live. Right? <laughs> it's kind of a sucky place. I guess Hobbiton, but I'd feel really fat in those little houses. <laughs> <laughs> I'd feel so bulky. I, but they do have lots of good snacks in there. That's so. true. I, I went to the... Did I tell you that I went to the... Or do, do, have you been to Hobbiton, actual Hobbiton in New Zealand? Because they, no, you know, they keep it going. No, I've been to New going. Zealand, though. But they keep it there. And, and it's like so exciting for a second. And then you... Then the crushing blow of like opening up the actual door and realizing it's a false front there's and there's just like an, a, a hollow cave in there what feels like no you really want them to if they're going to make that available you want it to be yes, inside furnished yeah fully immersive with that pound cake that they're always yes. talking about and the magic tobacco heavens yes do you think that that's supposed to be that they're high all the time I wondered that too. I wonder if it's like I don't know. I think about that too. I kind of suspect yes. Yeah, but don't I they don't call know. it what do they call it? Something leaf or something? Yeah, I can't remember. Sounds like a weed. I've got uh, Rivendell and Hobbiton. I love that you're really specifically. This really has to be imaginary, huh? Well, you know. Uh, oh, I know that house. You probably don't even know this movie, but there's an old movie from it might even be the '60s. I'm not old enough to have watched it in its first run, but they right. used to play it on TV called "Hello Down There." Oh. Richard Dreyfuss is in it. Oh, really? And he he has band, but it, Tony Randall plays this dad where he's like this kooky scientist dad, and he has an underwater house, and he <gasps> makes his family all go oh, live there. Oh my god, I need to see this. And Richard Dreyfuss is the um. And Janet Lee is the mom. Uh-huh. And Richard Dreyfus is the daughter's boyfriend, I think. And he and his band just play songs. Oh, my God. Hello down there. Yeah. I would love that. Okay, so the underwater I house. I love underwater house. Okay, there. you hit it. You got, you got all three. Great. Let's move on to um, three... Uh, Three books that many people believe that someone else wrote, but you actually are the author of these three books. Hmm. And I know that's like me saying, you know, rip this wonderful, like rip Harper Lee's masterpiece away from her, but who cares? This is this, this is imaginary. <laughs> Flannery O'Connor's short stories. Great. I'm just putting Harper Flannery. Lee's a good one. I hope I'm not uh, that In for Cold Blood by Truman Capote. And The Secret History by Donna Tart to go a little more current, meaning 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Very <laughs> topical. to 80 years Very ago. Very topical. 
Um, okay. Next one is going to be, I got to go with my classic, uh, three foods that you have access to, uh, with zero health ramifications whatsoever. Um, could be something very specific. Like there's this place I, in New York. I don't even have to go any further. Nachos, Great. fried chicken. Amazing. And spicy tuna with crispy rice. Oh, great. That's all my last meal. I almost wish I were on death row. I, <laughs> I just want to let that sit out there for a second. Do you ever think like when you read about people's last meals on death row, I'm always like, I'm sure it's just like the cook from the prison cooking. It can't and, be that yeah, good. And also, if I asked for spicy tuna with crispy rice, yeah, I bet it would be just be like tuna from a can. Yeah, <laughs> that's their version. <laughs> It's grim, and I do think to myself, like, anxiety and depression are appetite killers in such a huge way. Like, yes. would it even taste like anything? I would you know, probably go so, out. You're so out of your body by then, yeah, I think. I would go out in the martyr way and just say, um, give my last meal to someone who really needs it. Yeah. Except for one piece of fried chicken, please. <laughs> I mean, I got to work out my strength. <laughs> so grim. So grim. But yeah. Well, listen, this is a great list. God, I forgot how much I love nachos. Good point. Um, really solid point. We've talked about feminism. This yes. is the thing I'm harboring. On, I'm I'm harping on. Yes, great point about nachos, Sarah. <laughs> Very in depth conversation. Nachoism. Um, how about okay? So let's do three skills that you wake up with tomorrow that you are uh, wonderful at. Uh, how to play? Uh, I know how to play boogie woogie piano. Great. Like Professor Longhair, I could just you know clomp it out on on any old piano in any yeah. in anybody's house um singing not so much because i think that you can hold people hostage with your you know singing <laughs> apparently Maybe just one more yeah, like judy garland used to do that yeah. she'd go to parties and everyone would say judy sing a song and four hours yeah. later people are like can i go <laughs> can i go um and uh I would like to know how to sew beautiful clothes. Mm-hmm. And I would like to know how to surf really well and swim better and swim faster than sharks. Mm-hmm. Surfing and swimming, outdoing sharks. Shark very radar. important. Does Sharking. that count? That's Shark an imaginary. Radar. This is a general. I'm just going to do a general. I mean, basically, I'm making you aqua woman. Okay. Um, shark radar. Great. Shark dar. Shark dar. Okay. Now listen. Uh, nobody's a bigger fan of your husband than I am, but this is mash standard mash rules, a romantic and, uh, some sort of romantic companion or a one nighter or a alternate universe husband. However you want to think of it. Three could be living or dead could be young version of someone who's still around. Um, um, okay. Uh, it's actually, it's funny. Somebody just asked me this and I said, I don't really have what is it called? Like the pass list or the whatever list, the right. list you get a pass on. Um, but I will say Michael Fassbender, um, Mark Ruffalo, just because I really am impressed by their talent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> their talents. And um, hmm, let me think of who else. Oh, the guy who played Vronsky and Anna Karenina. Oh, what's his name? Taylor Jones, Aaron Taylor Jones. I'm just gonna have to put Vronsky because I haven't he's seen just, that. Anna he's Clement. just gorgeous. He's not my type at all. He's sort of like too pretty. Yeah, I don't go for the too pretty. You know, then I did maybe, it for you in that movie. Sure. Uh, that's it. I knocked out three. Okay. Unless you want to do a swip swap. Um, <laughs> okay. Next one would be uh, three. <sighs> what do I want to do for you, Sarah? There. Um, three. You know what? Three like sort of 
it could either be a fictional character or it could be someone from history that's like your buddy, you know, just somebody that that you could call up and say like, what's up, Oscar Wilde or whatever. I think being, can it be someone alive? Absolutely. I think being friends with Gloria Steinem would make you sure. feel good. Like you could call her and she would just calmly talk you down from whatever. Yeah, like whatever you're thinking, she's already thought it and she's got the answer. You could openly like call her and say, because we never really say this to our friends. We might say I feel fat or something, but we never just say, I'm ugly. (laughs) (laughs) You could probably do that with Gloria Steinem. I think you're right. Um, Yes, Gloria Steinem, probably Flannery O'Connor. Because I'd like to talk to her about peacocks. I'm kind of obsessed with peacocks. Interesting. And I'd love have, to have you gone some. up to Arcadia where they just wander people's yeah, neighborhoods? Yeah. 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 I love them. I don't think they're very pleasant birds either. I don't think they are either. And they do that weird, uh-huh. like that really <laughs> annoying call, but I would still just like to have them. It's a total vanity project. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have any room for them either. Um, but let's see. And then... I would actually, because I saw the biography of uh, Maria von Trapp that, mm-hmm. you know, Julie Andrews plays in Sound of Music. Sure. Apparently she was just a bitch. Oh, she was horrible my. to those kids. She would never let <gasps> really? them out. She made them work constantly Uh-oh. because that was her ethic. Right. Talk about, you know, passing on your own yeah. issues. That was her ethic. And they used to try, like, Liesl really did have to sneak out and oh. get away from, I think this is after they'd moved to Vermont and opened their ski resort. I hope I'm not, uh, you can't, um, what do you call, you can't libel the dead, Be sued right? for she's defamation. Dead. Yeah, yeah, she's dead now. But uh, I'd like to just observe her casually. Uh-huh. <laughs> see see <laughs> what she was really her. like. And was she so saintly uh, after all? I think that's great. I don't think that's a misuse of this <laughs> wish at all. I'm very excited about it. Okay, final one will be uh, three. I think I'm going to... Hmm, interesting. What about uh, three things that you could do with your family tomorrow that wouldn't involve like the flying to get there the you know where are we going to stay the sort of planning it all just sort of magically happens like mary poppins jumping into a chalk drawing with penguins well one of them this is kind of boring because we're actually doing it i'm taking my my daughter doesn't have school tomorrow and i'm taking her to disneyland Mm -hmm. um so we're actually doing that does that count or is that too boring it's not boring if we didn't have to fly yeah there's just stuff that you could like suddenly Uh, you guys like there's no stress to whatever this trip is so whether you're you know suddenly in tokyo or you're suddenly to go to venice because it's so beautiful and creepy in the winter time had you ever see that movie don't don't look back that movie with donald sutherland and yes uh, i know exactly what you're talking about there's just a lot of haunting shadowy yeah that's venice in the winter time it's just like yeah dark venice lurking in the shadows i've never been that cold in my life actually and i've been to chicago in the winter time yeah this was even worse because it's so damp 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 I'd go to Venice. I'd go to Japan. Yeah, right. I'd go see the cherry blossoms in Japan. And let's see, where else have I always wanted to go? Um, and I'd probably go to, God, I just love Italy and Greece so much. They're my favorites. I think I'd Nothing go visit relatives that. in Sweden. Oh, I've fun. never met before. Oh, fun. So yeah. part of the fantasy the is that there's time. no weirdness. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that completely makes sense to me that you're immediately just sort of like, this is great. Yeah. And then we're like, well, we're 
related somehow. Yeah. My dad went to visit there. My dad is the Swedish side of the family and he went to visit them and he's been sober for years. And he said they all thought he was insane for not yeah. drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Which many drinking cultures in, in Europe, for oh, sure. yeah. I mean, it's part of the health. Absolutely. A little aquavit after dinner. And so what else are you going to do those d- days where you have one hour of sunlight or less? I don't know. You know, I just read that Denmark is going to go, they're going to try to be totally um, renewable energy by 2050. And I thought, how will they do that? I guess they must get a lot of wind. Because they don't get a lot of do sun, they, right? I know. I don't know. How much can they store up? I, I don't really know, but that's... Boy, they really have, yeah. Uh, there's a reason everyone talks about the efficiency of Denmark, and it is because they're this small, wealthy country that is progressive. And you know, I would go so many places if I didn't have to fly. Yeah. I hate flying so much. If if we just had like a nice system of pneumatic tubes that mm-hmm. shot us all over the world, it would yeah. be so great. Yeah. But yeah. I don't want to go to space. Do people answer that question with space a lot? Sometimes I don't want to go to space either. Nah. I I I, I, I have I I have a feeling of wild homesick loneliness even when I'm and I love space movies but <clears throat> when I actually think to myself like would could I be that person that? looking back at the earth and I don't know that I would have I think I would be the person who goes crazy. Well I and saw I- an IMAX movie about it once and I almost threw up. Well, there you go. Because- <laughs> <laughs> probably not for me it's not on the list (laughs) all right tell me when to stop stop okay and um i'm just going to do some quick calculating i'm going to put this on pause come back and reveal your 100 percent guaranteed fictional mass future okay okay (laughs) all right this was uh i i'm pleased with the results i think you will be as well um i really have you traveling a lot it's funny because we talked about you not enjoying um flying so i guess it turned out great that i came up with all of these things that involve you uh magically being transported somewhere free of stress um pneumatic tubes uh first of all i want to congratulate you on your uh vacation shack of course mash being mansion apartment shack house you have a vacation shack it's fitting in hobbiton what is it going to be i mean that's what they are they're adorable little hobbiton shacks right filled with delight delightful as and delicious it's not just a facade it like is not a facade I, okay. I promise you there are beautifully hewn tables and chairs <laughs> And steaming pies and cakes sitting on the tables. Um, I also want to congratulate you on the recent trip uh, you took to San Francisco where you roller skated your heart away. <laughs> I mean, that would be really fun. That's the closest to reality, too. I that know. could happen. You could zip all around. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. No helmet required. Um, I want to uh, wish you a beautiful journey to Venice, Italy with the family in the winter. You're <laughs> creepy winter trip to venice that your children will be scarred for life from because it's creepy and cold they'll complain the whole time they'll complain the whole time um i want to uh you know what might cheer them up is if you pop into a a piano bar somewhere and just boogie woogie the the hell out of them (laughs) just sit down and let her rip Very lively. It's a very lively form of music. And they didn't know I could do that. That's right. It's out of the blue. That's right. It'll be a real sort of who is this person moment. And Europeans love that kind of American, you know, jazz funk music. Oh, yeah. So my kids will be like mortified at first. But then when they notice all the Europeans like... Yeah, <laughs> gathering around. She's pretty cool. Clapping out of tune. She's pretty damn cool. Um, I also want certainly do not worry. You do have access to all the nachos. You can eat at any yes. time with zero health Italian nachos. Italian nachos. And then um, not to be outdone, although you are very very close friends with Gloria Steinem, she's probably impressed that you wrote Secret History. Oh, 
Oh, so little extra. Well, that is about murdering someone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, people are fascinated by that. As anyone who listened to my last podcast episode knows, I am obsessed with the serial podcast. (laughs) Um, uh, and then, uh, and then that just leaves us with uh, your <laughs> your love affair with uh, none other than the guy who plays Bronski. Really, uh, yeah. the guy who you plays got, Bronski. You got awesome. the most surprising one. Well, you know what? Them. It's okay because if we had a kid together by mistake, even though I don't believe in getting semen in your vagina, uh-huh. <laughs> um, if we did, yeah. if he accidentally didn't pull out fast enough, uh-huh. it could pass for my husband's kids because he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. Oh, there you like go. You're going to be all right. So we're safe. Good thinking. <laughs> Oh, Always God, choose a, a lover that looks like your husband, ladies. <laughs> then that's if you have advice. a bastard with him. Oh, that's amazing advice. Sarah, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I've been wanting to have you on forever. So this was such a joy. And so fun. I feel certain that uh, people will want to be able to access more of you with more of your work. Where can they do that and how? Well, first off, I do a... Uh, a podcast with the writer Susan Orlean called Cry Babies. Guys, you know she do, did my podcast and yeah, it was an amazing episode. That we do for, um, it's the new sister network to Earwolf. Great. It's called Wolf Pop. Great. It's on wolfpop.com. And our, our podcast is called Cry Babies and we interview people about the songs, movies, books, works oh, of art, anything great. that makes them cry. concept. Yeah. So we've only just released one episode so far with Christopher Guest. And then we have our upcoming episodes. We have Liz Winstead, Nico Case, Steve Agee, Andy Kindler, Weird Al. We're going to record with uh, Susanna Hoffs next week. How fun. I know. It's so great. Everyone's saying yes. Because you know what? Everyone really enjoys crying. I know. Listen, that's a great... It really is. It's a We go to great lengths to hide it. But I... um, it's why I usually go see movies alone because I like to have the freedom to cry if mm-hmm, I want and not feel self conscious about it. Me too. Not have anyone looking, you know, sidelong yeah. at me, except for that one creepy guy who will come sit next to you in the movie theater when yeah, you're there. I don't understand There's that. There's four all. other people in the theater, but yeah. he comes and sits This next woman to is here because she's lonely and she wants me yes. to be her sex partner. What are you watching? It's the like, <laughs> movie version of what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you watching? Just asking me uh, that the whole time. And then another thing I do is with the um, writer and just all around awesome, nice guy, Louis Peitzman. We do a show every third Wednesday of the month at Bar Lubitsch, which is at 7702 Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. And the show's called Cheaper Than Therapy. We have five or six, we give a diagnosis, like borderline personality disorder, or we had the cast of the Amazon show Transparent on, oh, which great. by the way, did you watch show. Transparent? Yes, I have not seen, I think I'm on episode four. It's so, so seen, it's good. Well, we had the, the cast of them on and the, the, sometimes we'll do a pop culture diagnosis and sometimes we'll do an actual diagnosis, but that, that episode we did, uh, um, daddy issues because oh, Transparent is about Jeffrey Tambor playing. Perfect. A dad who's transitioning into a woman, and we've done OCD. Oh, and I panic am attacks. muscling my way into the yes, show. Yes, will by you the come way. do I it? Am forcing you. Yeah. What's it's your such disease? Great... I mean, I everything. Feel like I have so many. <laughs> I feel like I have so many. But uh, I mean, these guys. Oh, I I do have a very interesting uh, diagnosis that I got when I was, I think, nineteen, called depersonalization displacement syndrome. I think I have that. It's what I was talking yeah, about. It's about out of body experience. It's the seeing yeah. your life. It made writing a memoir very easy. It's the seeing your life as a movie. There were moments where um, I realized I wasn't even in the scene of my life. Mm-hmm. I was watching it. Mm-hmm. like, And that is, that's... Yeah. Exactly. Is that what depersonalization yeah, is? Yeah. I mean, it can, be, it, it can be different things for different people. Mine definitely was, yeah, this just this... Uh, mine was a preoccupation with like, 
identity and having no no sense of connective thread to my past like just looking in the mirror and going I don't know who that is I don't know why she likes what she likes I don't know what why food feels and tastes like it does I don't know why limbs work the way they do I mean it's just a total deconstruction of like being a human being with a personality isn't that terrifying it's really crazy how old were you when that used to happen to you yesterday late teens yeah (laughs) late teens yeah that's rough yeah to just because you have to go through so much bullshit in yeah, your late already. teens anyway, totally. and then to add that mental totally. stress on top of it, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, on that okay, note, cool. let me promote my cartoon. <laughs> I also have a, a nice cartoon. to escape. Nice to escape, everybody. <laughs> Shoot, I just went down yeah. the trap door <laughs> into my next plug. Ah. Um, I have a cartoon coming out on Netflix that is a spinoff from the uh, Madagascar movies. It's oh, yeah, called great. All Hail King Julian, and it's about the lemurs, great. which, as we all know, are the most interesting characters People and part of the lemurs. Madagascar movies. And I play um, two characters on that, and that great. comes out on Netflix December 19th. So Great. And it, I think it has some good adult humor in it as yeah. well. Well, I feel like I, I, feel, I either know someone who writes on it or maybe I... I don't know, but I have a familiarity with that project and I feel, and I remember thinking like, this is going to be cute and really good. Yeah. I've read for your cartoon a couple of times. Oh yeah. They always have me come in and read the the old wise Uh Japanese (laughs) woman who is 90 and has one clouded over eyeball. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) I haven't gotten any of the parts yet. you're talking about. Well, now it's done. Oh, Cartoons yeah. are great, aren't they? I know. I love doing voiceover. Well, it's just like when I did voices in high school. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes when I'm in a studio doing cartoon voices, I have to not pinch myself. That's too corny. No, but I completely And I don't like self-abuse. <laughs> no, I feel like, wow, How did this, this is yeah. kind of my dream come true. Couldn't agree Always more. wanted to do cartoon Couldn't voices. Agree. Have you done Rob Paulson's podcast, Talking Tunes? I just did it last night. Oh, no. And, we t- and, and you Maybe should totally do it. Maybe after I premiere, I'll do it. Yeah, you should absolutely do it. I'll tell, him, I'll tell him because it's a really fun podcast. You talk about everything, but it sort of, yeah, it sort of... It becomes that kind of like what cartoons did you watch when you were little and and you know what voices do you like most like doing and stuff like that i you love great them all on it. right yes oh so fun okay. i wish we could live in a cartoon world i should have put that I in my mash too. game well damn it next time all right you can regret that for the rest of your life you can run, play that tape <laughs> yeah play that tape and then that person's like this really isn't that important forever <laughs> to eat nachos off of michael ah. fassbender's penis in a cartoon world Please, sarah Penis. Penis. Guys, thank you so much. Talk to you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 